Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to FIGP's podcast series, FIGP Focus 45. FIGP is the only international NGO whose membership consists entirely of IP attorneys in private practice. The FIGP global community is driven by a shared interest among like-minded people to promote common solutions and advocacy for private practice. The FIGP business family makes the world a little bit smaller, bringing independent IP attorneys from around the globe together to focus on IP issues of global importance. Our host is Louis-Pierre Gravel, a registered patent agent and partner at Bereskin & Par in Montreal, Canada. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to FIGP's 45 series of podcasts. My name is Louis-Pierre Gravel, and I'm a partner at Bereskin & Par in Montreal, Canada. We have today as our guest, Sharon Deal. Sharon lives with her husband on a remote farm in the Karoo, approximately 200 kilometers north of Cape Town in South Africa. Issues like emotional intelligence, authenticity, and well-being are very close to Sharon's heart, and she's the founder of the Who Am I Foundation. For the last 13 years, Sharon has focused on leadership development and more specifically transforming lives, life, and leadership. Sharon used to do her work in person. However, COVID changed all of this, and most of Sharon's work is now done online. This has changed the landscape of her business, taking her work international. We also have with us Bastian Koster from South Africa, a FICPI member and a former president of FICPI. Bastian's firm engaged the services of Sharon, and the idea here is to share some feedback on his firm's experience on issues like emotional intelligence and well-being. But before we get going, I want to take a step back to the presentation Claire Davis did at our forum in Cannes in 2022. The topic of that session was managing mental health issues in an IP firm in 2022 and beyond. For those who are not at the forum, you can view Claire's presentation through the FICBI website. I have looked at the presentation again, and even if you were there, it will be useful to look through the slides again. The issues we are facing with mental health are real and challenging. In Cannes, the focus was more on awareness and how to detect mental health problems in a firm through the use of mental health first aiders. But today we want to shift the focus a little bit to emotional intelligence, authenticity, and well-being, and what firms can do to embrace a culture of well-being among their staff. Sharon, I've looked at your website of the foundation Who Am I, and the opening message on your homepage reads, 
the Who Am I Foundation has a passion for people to live, love, and lead from a place of authenticity. We believe that to be authentic, you need to be aware and embrace all of who you are so that you show up as an integrated and mature person. And in your work, you also focus strongly on emotion. So before we really get going into this presentation, I'd like to set the stage briefly and, and just so we have a common understanding, what does it mean when we talk about emotional intelligence? Thank you for the question, a subject very close to my heart, uh, Louis Pierre. I'm often heard to say that emotional intelligence is the maturing skill set that every leader needs. And it's the one skill set that actually sets us apart. And when you look at maturity, it's about one's emotional intelligence and self-mastery, and it's how they relate to each other. And I think that so beautifully brings emotional intelligence into play because it's about bringing our head and our heart together. And I think in short, it's about getting smarter with feelings. Um, and the further we get into it, you'll realize how important the feelings are. But there are five domains. And I think the five domains are important to mention. Uh, the first is self-awareness. And that's where everything, all the magic happens. Um, and it's an impressive set of abilities because it's invisible, uh, it's subtle, and it's highly underrated. And self-awareness is the key to knowing oneself, getting to the root issues, knowing the motivations, understanding um, our belief systems, values, all of those things. And then we, meet, we go straight into self-management. And self-management is really what's going on. It, it's knowing what's going on inside of yourself. And if you don't know that, it makes it very difficult to manage others. And I think that really is a, is a major key for us. Um, because when we're not sure about what's going on inside of us, it's really difficult for us to manage emotions that block our thinking, our ability to create, innovate, and do all of those things. The third one is, is probably a revolutionary skill set, and that is um, empathy. Uh, and there's a lot of research, uh, neuro research around brain and neuro, mirror neurons and what have you. But it's ultimately the ability to actually connect, attune with people, and to be able to really connect with them in a real way. And it's not as simple as stepping into somebody else's shoes. You actually need the ability within you uh, to be settled within your own emotion, to be able to hold space for somebody else's um, emotional space. The fourth area is social skills. And that is managing relationships. Um, and I think it involves the most apparent leadership skills uh, around persuasion, influence, communication, collaboration, and teamwork. I think that flows from trusted leaders. And the fifth one is motivation. And motivation is everywhere. Very often when I speak to uh, firms, they'll say, we don't do the emotional side. We don't enjoy the motivation or they love the motivation. I'll say, well, you actually can't have the one without the other because emotions is energy. And that's what's lying behind passion, purpose, motivation, drive. And that's really um, where drive goes beyond external factors of money and status. It actually steps into motivation, being able to unlock that in leaders and, and do that well. And I think that's really the key of emotional intelligence. You speak with so much passion and feeling and emotion, for lack of a better word. Where did this come from? How, how did you get into exploring these themes? Well, Louis-Pierre, there's always a backstory. And mine was a, quite a personal story of betrayal in my marriage. Um, and probably for the first time in my life, I reached out to a therapist for help. One of the first 
questions he asked me was, how do you feel about being betrayed? And I looked at him and I said to him, please cut the BS. I don't do the emotional stuff. Please just help me. Um, I need some equilibrium here. I'm ineffective. I'm ineffective. Nothing's happening. And he said to me, I'm really sorry. I cannot be of assistance to you. And that was the beginning of the rest of my life. And I then engaged with a life coach. And it was probably about a two-year journey of really getting to know myself. And I realized that I didn't know myself at all. Um, I, I lived a highly masked, fake, phony life, uh, very successful, doing all the things that we love to do as leaders, but not authentic at all. And uh, that placed an enormous amount of stress on me, hence the uh, the birth of the Who Am I Foundation and the passion uh, for authenticity and well, um, well-being and emotional intelligence. Well, thank you for sharing that, because that often is not easy to, to share these kinds of stories. You speak of authenticity. We are probably surrounded by people who seem to be very authentic, but perhaps might not entirely be. What do you mean by this and, and why is it important? Authenticity is, um, I think, the quality of being aware, genuine, real, and true to yourself. And that means really knowing yourself, your values, your beliefs, and being able to align to that. I often use the word alignment and congruence alongside of authenticity, because it really is about getting to know yourself and then living from that place. And that takes a lot of courage and um, and vulnerability do, to do so, because Conversely, when we're inauthentic, we're actually needing to work for our self-worth. And that's the difference, is that when we know who we are, we, we actually function within our passions and, and it flows, whereas the other is work. It's hard. We, we generally step into places of perfecting, performing, pleasing, and hustling for our worthiness. And I think the importance of authenticity is that it contributes to holistic well-being, our emotional physical and mental well-being. Um, and that changes everything because um, the stress and the strain and the neuro uh, that are released in our bodies when we're in stress within plays huge havoc from a well-being point of view in the outflow of it. And that's why there's such a huge correlation between emotional intelligence, authenticity, and well-being. So a lot of firms at at least in the in the law sphere around the world have embarked on some initiatives relating to emotional well-being relating to even mental health issues from your point of view having a session once a month once every 6 weeks or once every 8 weeks in a group setting i mean it clearly there is some value in it but does that go far enough in trying to address some of these issues? I think it's a brilliant question. Um, and firstly, the type of work that I do is transformational. So it's not a dipping in and out of a quick workshop, four hours here, four hours there, and expecting the lasting change. We've taken 40, 50, 60 years to get to where we have. There's a lot of understanding to be able to disrupt and interrupt the patterns that keep us locked in ways of being. Mm. So we like a more um, consistent approach to it and over a longer period of time. But we work with what we have, you know, um, any amount of awareness work is work and the work um, is happening because the minute, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I think that's the power of these sessions is being able to all of a sudden being opened up to this possibility of something different. I never knew that life could be different from what I knew it. 
um, you know, so it does. It just opens up a myriad of um, of choice. That's really, really very interesting. So it leads me to to one question, which is: so we're talking about, and you're you're here because of the work that you've done with Bastian's firm and the work that you do with other firms as well. It does beg the question: are the underlying issues in emotional intelligence and well being um, are they the same in an office context and at home? Or is there a fundamental difference between the two? Oh, I think it's a great question. Thank you so much for asking it. I think it takes us back to the conversation of being smarter with feelings and our ability to be able to navigate emotions in healthy ways. Um, And when we have trouble understanding, identifying, managing emotions and being able to navigate our way through difficult circumstances, we usually go into moving against, towards or away. Those are our typical bias sort of positions and they're patterns, they're patterns of being. And, um, you know, when we are not working with emotions in a healthy way, we're offloading them. And what do do I mean by offloading? We're finding different ways to deal with what's happening inside of us. Because remember, emotions are like this sea of emotion inside of us. And if I could give you a beautiful example of language for emotion, if you find language for emotion, you find sure, which means the minute you have language, you've hit the, the, the shoreline, which means that you have stability within. And that's what emotions do for us. Mm-hmm. They allow us to find our way through really tough conversations. And when we don't have that skill set, we go into um, suppression. And suppression, um, if you want to know whether you are suppressing, you can bet your bottom dollar that you've got some reactive tendencies that are following you. You know, if you're blaming, shaming, and that's typically when we've got leaders that don't know how to be brave enough to have tough conversations and to be clear and kind at the same time, they tend to move into those power overplays rather than power with. You know, and then we've got the hiding, the numbing. Unfortunately, if we're hiding from emotion, it's got to come out of us. Emotions were designed to actually flow through us, not get locked in us. And that's part of the problem with well-being, because when they get trapped in us, the body pays the price. And the mental and psychological well-being of the individual is, is, at, is at risk. So if I could maybe give you an example of a work home situation to maybe bring it alive, because I really do think, I mean, they're patterns and we can have similar patterns as we see, you know, if you've, if you've got patterns, you see them all over the place. Uh, And once you've seen a pattern, you cannot unsee it. That's what's so profound about awareness. But let's, let's take a simple example of an intimidating uh, leader in the workplace. And there is, it's creating an enormous amount of stress for an individual, but they have an avoiding tendency. So what happens is they've got all of this pent up suppression inside. And what they do is they go home. Now that's got to come out somewhere. And it's either coming out in our relationships or it's going inward. And usually it it, it works into, we've got to numb somewhere and it either moves into addictive behavior. um, And I mean, what is an addictive behavior in terms of places we go to numb? It could be social media, pornography, alcohol, uh, drug abuse, cleaning, cleaning, busyness. If you look for me when I didn't want to heal, deal with my own pain, I was in my office working 24 hours a day. There's always work to be done. So, you know, um, it's it's a hiding place. And the problem is that we'd rather be angry than sad. 
Right. And it's really powerful because, um, you know, we end up being these two people. We, we, we're not really authentic. So at work, I've got a version of me and at home, I've got a version of me. So who, who am I? You, you know, the incongruence really messes with us as individuals. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a really powerful question. Thank you. What I'm hearing from you is that in order to to start down this path, you need a lot of courage. I mean, you 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 don't do this because you're doing this on a whim. I mean, there's got to be some definite intention. There's got to be, as you said earlier, there's got to be a motivation to do this. And and where do people find that motivation? What drives people to to seek out people like you? You know. Um... <laughs> The majority of people that come into my space have reached a point in their life where they cannot anymore. It's enough of enough. And, you know, there's that age old saying, if you keep doing what you've always been, what you've always, the problem is we don't always know that. So usually it takes something quite dramatic where either there's an intervention from a, an organizational uh, or partnership point of view where they're saying, you know, please, can you come in? We've got problems in a, in a team environment and then people will be exposed to it. And, and, and generally it's a, it's a decision, but usually something's happening in our lives for us to have to face ourselves at that level. I'm going to bring Bastian in the conversation now. Bastian, your your firm has worked with Sharon for what about eighteen months now. What was the clincher? Why did you reach out to Sharon and say, "I think we need some help," and I think Sharon's the person to help us? Thank you, Louis Pierre, and and good afternoon, Fikbi colleagues all over the world. And Sharon, thank you for that introduction. Now we were just lucky. Our intervention happened uh, by really good fortune. There was not an incident yet of the nature that that Sharon mentioned. But I think what happened was, and COVID made it clear to me that there are mental health issues in our firm. We, I saw the wheels coming off. And then Claire confirmed that during COVID, I became aware of Sharon and her foundation. I looked into it and I liked the approach. And uh, I saw potential for her to deal with a number of our staff members where there were issues. And we got good feedback from them. So towards the end of COVID, um, I had this idea that, you know, we've been locked in for almost two years and our partners never had a retreat. So we did a retreat on Sharon's farm and uh, that was a wonderful event. And uh, we did it over three days. And the, the, uh, the, the theme of this, the retreat was strong back, soft front, wild heart reconnecting to yourself, your spouse, and nature. So the partners with their families went. Now, over the three days, Sharon only spent an hour a day with us. And the rest of the time was connect or used for reconnection and uh, consuming some good South African wine. <laughs> but the outcome on the Sunday was amazing. You know, we were there in the Karoo. And when Sharon finished, we all had one of those aha moments, you know, sort of almost the penny dropped. Um, I then suggested to my partners that if any one of them want to engage with Sharon personally or in their relationships, they're welcome to do so. Um, that happened and we used that. And I also started using her with a few more individuals um, in our firm. But the big quest challenge was how do you reach out to more people? Because um, 
you know, one-on-one is, is best, but it, it's not always practical. And we eventually decided that Sharon would do an eight-week EQ and well-being program available to all our staff. It's not compulsory. We did it on Monday afternoons from 3 to 4.30 p.m. So it's in work time. We recorded it so that people can look at it afterwards. Sharon also prepared a manual for us, about 100 pages that she worked through. And there was also some reflection time and self-study that people could do in between weeks. Um, We've recently completed the program, subsequently also sent out a survey and we got the results back last night. So Sharon and I was look, were looking through the results last night. And, and Sharon, you very will come in there, but it was really in, encouraging. So in my firm, we have 120 staff members. We started off initially with about 70, 80, and that dwindled down to about 25 regulars towards the end. But I never knew how many people watched the program because the firm still had to go on. You know, not everybody log in on a three on a Monday. So, but the, the interesting thing was that um, after we got 50 free responses and of those 44 people, that's 88% either attended in person or watched the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the recording afterwards. So that is really that's high. So good. it's almost, yeah. So what we got is almost half the staff attended it either in person or watched it afterwards. So that was, was really encouraging. And 40, 88% of the respondents said that they will or have wor- will work through the manual at some stage. So that manual is like, you know, you, it's not, there's no quick fix, as Sharon said. So, and, and that was also, but we also ask a number of questions. And I think Sharon will also say something about that. But the The one question was the first question, what benefits have you gained from the EQ sessions? And the feedback that stood out that people gained a better understanding of themselves, their emotions, and how that can help them better navigate the interaction with colleagues, friends, and at home. And there were a number of people that said the fact that they have emotions that actually drive their behaviors was quite a revelation. Sharon, I don't know if you want to come in there. Bastien, I actually didn't go through in, in as fine a detail as you did, I must be honest. So you might want to keep keep leading um, in terms of some yeah. of the feedback. So I think that is basically, so I was quite encouraged that it, it it's, a, it's a program, as you said, Lee, why would you want to do it? So it's not like this, the, the, the firm has a problem. It was sort of, it was sort of preventative maintenance that we were doing and it was really embraced. And I can already see that, you know, emotions becoming, we can talk about it. We're all human. So there's a, a culture of well-being that's moving into our firm. Now, the th- main thing is there's no quick fix and it must be ongoing. So we're now looking at next steps um, and Sharon and I are putting our heads together. So we will probably have a masterclass with a much smaller group, say 20 people, and do it after hours. We also want to have a more in-depth program with a partners because these things start top down and, and look at the tall trees program and profiles of the partners. We're also looking at making an EQ wellness starter pack available for all new, new people that they can see this is how our firm look at EQ and well-being and then get Sharon in as a consultant, say, every four months to have a four-hour 
session with the new people and anybody else who wants to attend to talk them through the principles. And then the idea is possibly to have a, a, a lunch hour EQ well-being session um, from time to time where Sharon will not necessarily be involved, but it just becomes part of the culture in the firm. Um, but Sharon, I don't know, you've worked with um, individuals in the firm and, and Sharon doesn't give feedback to me. She just tells me, and that's also my deal with individuals. I don't hear what goes on between them and Sharon. Sharon just tells me thumbs up or, you know, thumbs horizontal. Um, but so maybe you can give us a little bit of feed, personal feedback on engaging with an IP firm where you have a partnership that is, you know, we're not a corporation. So on the, the management level, it's very different because there's no one boss, there are no shareholders, all the partners are shareholders, and then also work with the staff. So, and you worked with everybody in the firm. Bastian, I think, you know, it just brought home to not only on Seidel's, but any other organization that I've worked with, they're all people and they all have stuff that's going down in their worlds. And, um, you know, the minute you engage with this work, it doesn't only touch what's happening in that instant. It actually has the ability to shift everything that you do from the way that you live, love, parent and lead. Because when you start to integrate all of this work and you ground yourself, it just filters through into everything that you do. So, I mean, some of the things that I started seeing was certainly the courage and the vulnerability. Uh, in fact, I had a really good laugh. Uh, for those of you that know um, South Africans, we have a culture of causa, yeah. oops, of causes. Sorry about that. I've got a a dog in my office and one of the um one of the ladies sorry said to one of the gents that I was working with Sharon is a, is a very good sangoma in fact she's a great sangoma because even the way you walk and the way you carry yourself and and the fact that you show up in meetings has changed so um i really enjoyed that feedback but really i think people are kinder to themselves and I say that, and I want to almost pause when I say that, because there's a lot of harshness in your working environment. And it's not only yours, but I'm very aware of the stress levels that your specific industry is, is, is faced with. And the amount of stress, burnout, perfectionism, oh my word, a lot of perfectionism, and that's driving one, two, adrenal fatigue, burnout, there's fear of failure, there's disconnectedness in relationships. So, you know, that's just one small arena. And it's, it's, it's a straitjacket, you know, and if you have a leader with perfectionism leading a team, um, that team is not going to be doing well, because that team is being being pushed, and the standard is never enough. Um, and it's 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 hardcore, and it's to pull it back and say, whoa, hold on, I can swip, swipe, switch perfectionism for excellence. I can still give my best from an authentic place. Because remember, perfection is shame driven, which means that I've got to prove something to who I am. And when we settle this work within you, all of a sudden. I actually don't need to do those things anymore. And by the way, I am a, a, a healed 
perfectionist. I wore perfectionistic masks my whole life. So I can share a lot in this arena and it disconnects you. So we talk about trust building, you know, it's non-existent when you have that type of leadership, but certainly uh, people that are learning to be more compassionate, caring, and what you're hearing is the heart space. A lot of us are very analytical, rational thinkers. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We need that for decision-making, but the power and the strategy as a resource that comes from emotion is what really guides intuitive wisdom and sensing when we're making good decisions. And, you know, it's early days for those leaders that I'm working with, certainly from and in with Von Seidel's, but I'm seeing some beautiful shifts that I've been working with for a a longer period. So yeah, all of those things, having more vulnerable conversations, awareness, openness, honesty. Um, I think a lot of the things we've been speaking about today. What you've said is, of course, supremely inspiring and very accurate. I mean, you, you can you can see it in the way that you that you speak, the way that you express yourself. That you are you are authentic, and it transpires through your demeanor and your words. I'm going back a little bit to to the intervention or to the work that you've been doing with Bastian's firm. Is there is an inherent risk in embarking on a path like this? There is a risk that um, even if it is for preventative measures or in response to a crisis or an event in particular, that somehow the whole will not stand together, that there will be an, uh, an irreparable rupture as people go down this path. How do you manage that risk? How do you, how do you inspire confidence and trust in the process so that everyone who's engaged with this understands that there is this risk. And if it does happen, it's probably for a good reason and not because something went horribly wrong. Louis Pierre, very good message, a uh, good question. And I think it is all about how we build in that space. And it all starts with psychological safety. So we're creating space. And right from day one, we're actually pulling on what's important to you to feel safe in this environment. And we build that. And that's why the slightly smaller groups are easier to work with. I mean, you can pull in a team, you can did with Bustin, we brought everybody in all together. And we didn't go very deep. There wasn't a lot of interaction. How we handled it was that they communicated with me anonymously through a chat. And then what I I did was I answered broadly in the group. So there was never, ever a situational position where somebody was, oh, you, you know, where they could actually, we could be used against you. And I think that's what you're referring to. So the psychological safety is enormous with something like this. Um, and, you know, they will, nobody's going to do this work unless they feel safe. Um, and that's part of the process. And that's why I personally run a program called Disrupt Yourself. And it's an 11 month program. And it is, I think, all the building blocks to walk in all of this that we're talking about. Um, but it takes time and it's peeling back the onion. So, so Bastian, when, when you identified that the firm needed to do this, was it difficult for you to convince your partners to engage or to embark on this journey? Yes and no. Yes, because people don't want to go there. No, because I told them there will be lots of wine. Uh, <laughs> motivation. So, motivation. Um, but after they 
and 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 that comes with the authenticity after they have been with Sharon for a long weekend and spend the three hours with her. She created the safety for her, and 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 I think all my partners and the staff feel very safe with her. So it's, um, but you have to make a step. But I agree with you. This can go wrong if you don't have that absolute safe environment of trust um, that must be created by management and then by your your life coach or your therapist. Because if you don't do that, it can backfire. I'm going to add to what Bastian has just said now. It's, it's vital because they can be doing all of this work. And if they come back in to start testing and living and being that in the workplace and there isn't psychological safety, that's where the risk comes in. So that's, I think, where the organization play, needs to play their part in creating an environment that individuals feel safe, seen, supported, understood. So one question that has come up in the chat is, um, and Sharon, uh, this is probably more directed to you, but in the work that you've done, have you noticed patterns or differences between women and men? It, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about DEI initiatives. We're talking about uh, gender issues. Is there, have you seen that there is a difference between the two? And if so, how do you modulate your work to address those differences? Very good question. So the majority of people that engage with me are in fact women as a, as a, as a first key. I think the patterns are very similar. Um, I don't think there's a gender difference in terms of how women show up. I think we, we like the, um, the role of, um, of, of the, the male side of, of the ego. And we know how to play it out. And unfortunately, there, there isn't a huge disparity um, in terms of our patterned ways of being. Um, on an individual basis, what I find is engaging with the women, nine times out of 10, their husbands follow. And usually it's because of the change they see and they want what the other has. Um, so usually it's the women that come in first. But I must tell you that that is changing, which is uh, very refreshing. So it, that's interesting that you say that women are probably more attracted or more easily engaged in a process like this as opposed to us. So there is a difference between the two. I, I guess if if you if you put it that way, there probably is. Um, and what might that be? I'd, I'd probably just be taking a guess right now, but it's you know, people might say, well, they're more in, in emotionally connected. I don't think that's the answer. I, I was definitely not emotionally connected. I think we we might ask for help easier than me. So I yeah. think that's maybe the path. A, yeah. a male never ask for directions. You will get lost and lost and lost when driving. Yes. And we could apply that to many other situations, but we'll just, let's leave it at that. <laughs> let's leave it at that for now. You use the word, and you, and you talk this about this program called Disrupt Yourself. That's very interesting. How did this come about, and what are you doing when you're teaching people or you're you're helping people disrupt themselves? Well, it came about, believe it or not, at the beginning of COVID when uh, all my travel stopped and I uh, found myself in the middle of the career and I thought, well, I still need to do what I love to do and I need to bring this alive. And uh, actually what I did was I reached out and I did a lot of volunteer work because there was a lot of mental health issues through COVID period with anxiety, um, the loneliness, suicides, and I just put my voice out and 
that's actually how I went international. <laughs> I had no means or, or knowledge as to how to even begin to do that. So it, it opened up a door for me. And um, I basically took what I knew, what I was doing out there, and I turned it into an 11-month program. It grew. It was initially six months, and then the building blocks made sense. And um, do I have time just to give you a, a bit of an understanding of what that looks like? Um, yes, I, please. So um, the, the first eight weeks that we did with Bastian's um, team was um, creating awareness, and we call that diving deep. So we dive in and we start to really open up the, the thinking around um, your emotions, your connectedness. And by the way, what we do um, is we give you tools. And I think that's the key is that, um, and I'm sidetracking slightly, but I have a lot of people that come in that have been in psychology and psychiatry for 17 odd years, and they arrive in a coaching space and come through this program. And they say to me, I've been talking for years. Why has nobody ever given me a tool to do this work myself? And I think that's the key. It's equipping and developing individuals to live life and be mature and make the decisions they need to make for themselves from that place. So the first part is diving deep. And there we open up the awareness. We look at masks. We look at drama triangles, the roles we take up, the motivations. What are our patterns? Where do they take us? Emission, emotional triggering. Where are our needs? How is that attached to emotion? We talk about language that allows us to be stable. Um, we understand the brain a lot. There's a lot of neuroscience because we've got to work with our brain. We've got to give our brain what it needs to function. Mm -hmm. And um, then we move into disrupting the unwanted. And that's where we go into the cognitive ability because uh, we have biases, lies, perceptions, assumptions, convictions that actually trip us up. Um, and we never, ever pause to do the work and check. I can tell you, I had so many lies that I needed to get rid of. And I tested them because they came from my parents. Why on earth would I test them? Um, we look at self-deception. And at the back end of that, we bring in self-compassion because it's a harsh space. It's a harsh world. And that's what our lies do for us. They take us into harsh places. And that's yeah. where we end up eating from. So we dispute and get rid of all of those. And then we take them into evolving and rising. And that's where we start the anchoring process of grounding yourself in, um, obviously, your authenticity, knowing yourself, but your value system. It's really important. We can't talk about values or if we can't, or we can't live by our values if we can't name them. And, uh, and then we bring in shadow values. And then we move from there into maintaining and smooth sailing. Oh, sorry, we do say yes to me first, which is boundaries. Boundaries and understanding our transacting, how it is that we communicate. And everything has got to do with how I see someone. If I look at you, Louis Pierre, and I think I'm better than you and I'm more superior, guess how I communicate with you? I speak down to you. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and so we, we bring all of that awareness alive. Um, and then we move into maintaining and smooth sailing. And that is really where we connect um, with some listening, some active listening skills where we can yeah. read between the lines and really use our empathic skill set. And then nonviolent communication. We are violent communicators. And when we demand instead of request, people hear criticism and judgment, and we need to change that because it would change the landscape of how we communicate. And then we move into the final of um, overcoming, owning our stories and rising strong. And it's pretty much where we sort of put the bow on and we do a quick checklist of how are you, where are you, have you 
top, cross the T's, dot the I's? Have you got the skills you need? And then we send them off with their with their gift, which is themselves. Anyway, I hope you're going to get like <laughs> lots of calls after this webinar because it, clearly I think it's very inspiring. And clearly, I think you, you hit on some of the points that I think intuitively um, as professionals, we probably are remotely aware of. I mean, we, you know, there's a lot of mythology, well, maybe not mythology, but certainly some some truisms regarding uh, law firms in particular, uh, the role of a professional, the role of a partner, and how that really is a is a breeding ground for for habits and reflexes and and behaviors that that may not be the most human at its roots. And and so I think um, I think you're right. I think in order to have an effective team, in order to have an effective partnership, in order to have a, a firm that works well, everyone together. All of these little pieces need to be, at the very least, looked at, if not polished a little bit and and integrated in, into the whole. So it, it's very, very interesting to hear you speak about, about these things. But I, I want to go back a little bit to the work that you've, you've done with Bastion's firm. And I think, I don't know if it's Bastion or you who said that, you know, doing the initial exercises is just one step. You need to continue. You need to make sure that you're addressing these continually. Otherwise, what is the risk of falling back into the patterns that we had previously, into the same reflexes? I love what you're saying, because the work that we're doing, remember, is transformational. And what we're doing is we're actually working with a bit of a burning platform behind us. We don't want to go back to where we've come from. So, um, you know, it's it's being able to um, hone the skill. And of course, you can slide back. And um, we, 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 we will always have those deeply ingrained pathways within our within us. And when we're under stress or strain, we will go back there anyway, if we're not masterful. Um, and I think it's, it's, you've lived authentically with emotional mastery, and you walk integrity, and you're able to connect with others from a we disposition point of view. You, you cannot go back. It brings so much life from within. And I think we, you know, in, in areas where you do struggle, you can go back and know that there's limitations and lies that are there. And then you just, you, you keep doing this work. This is a forever work. The work I do, I do in my life today. My world is not perfect. I've got some messy stuff that goes down for me too. And I pick up the tools every day and I do the work and it and it works with it. And then I move on again. You know, so it, it is a life's work. It's it's not something that starts and stops. I hope that's useful. It is very useful. And it, and I, I think it comes back to your theme of, you know, disruption. Once you've disrupted someone or an industry or something, you, you can't go back to the way it was. It's it, it's not whole anymore. It, it's it's picked apart. It's it's disassembled and it, it needs to be, you can't put it back together again. Louis-Pierre, I wanted to pick up on something that you said earlier when you were talking about um, your environment and, um, you know, how, how one can, the role of a professional was the word that you used. And I think, you know, that also, that role of the professional is, is very often found in our identity around what, not who we are. And there's a big problem there when we um, look at who we are in what we do rather than how we come alive in what we do. And I think that changes everything. Yeah, I hope that's... That's very good. And I think uh, 
people will take note of that. We're almost out of time, unfortunately. I wish we could have a much longer conversation. But um, just before we we leave uh, this conversation, Bastian, is there anything that uh, you wanted to to address or to say about the work that you've done with Sharon and and um, and you know perhaps some of the more immediate results that you've seen out of this collaboration? Yeah, no, thanks for that question. I think I just want to confirm that I and my partners, we see it that this is an ongoing project with less and different involvement from Sharon over time to equip us as a firm and our staff with the tools and make it part of our culture. So this is a long-term project. This is not a quick seminar um, because I think Sharon, you and I are on the same page. If we stop doing things now, in a year's time, we will say, who is this Sharon something living? Okay. But for me, and again, it's early days for us, but you know, Sharon talked about EQ and she said it's self-awareness, self-management, empathy, social skills, and motivation. And you need those things when you want to embrace change. In, in our IP profession, there are big changes coming. AI is going to take over some of our jobs. We're going to get vulnerable. We will have to introduce new tools that people don't like. And if you are an integrated firm with confidence in management and you authentic, I think there will be so much better take up of those changes. And that is one of the reasons why we do it, not only to have happy people, but to have a happy firm. And ultimately, it comes down to the bottom line. And and I think you hit something right on the nail there, Bastian. I think you're right. I think the IP profession, the IP business is under tremendous pressures to change. It In order to have a firm and a partnership and staff that are ready and capable to withstand those pretty significant changes that are looming on the horizon, um, you need to have a very uh, a team in equilibrium. Otherwise, you know, the, you run the risk of of you know, having the whole thing explode in your face. Um, I think, and I think that's that in and of itself would be, I think, motivation enough or reason enough to convince a partnership to to embark in a in in a journey like this one. Exactly, Sharon. Any any last words? I think um, just on change, remember that emotions drive change and there are emotions that block change. So it goes back to anything that's happening in your environment. Emotions are it and you need to get smarter with them. Thank you. Thank you both for this super enlightening conversation. Um, uh, Sharon, your your details will be on the FICB website where people can uh, can reach you and and look at your and your website and your foundation. Bastian, of course, um, you are still a very active member of FICB, and we get to meet you and see you at uh, various meetings and in various events. And so, thank you both very very much for your time this morning, this afternoon, and uh, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much. If people need to reach you, they know how to reach you, Sharon. Thank you again very much for your time and uh, for sharing this with us. And I wish you all a, a very good day and a very good weekend coming up. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you, everybody.
If you have any questions about the topics discussed in this podcast, you can sign up for free and message us, ficp.org. You can also find out more of what's to come on the FICP Focus 45 podcast series, either on the events page of our website, LinkedIn, or via our newsletter. See you next time.